Love a good fright? Stream your fears with Shudder. From the legendary monsters that fuel your nightmares to under-the-radar haunts and acclaimed exclusives like Creepshow and Slasher, Flesh and Blood, experience what Polygon calls a horror movie paradise and what RogerEbert.com says is one of the best streaming services in the world. Stacked with chilling content, all curated by the industry's top horror experts, Shudder's library of frightening films and eerie series covers the horror spectrum, meaning there's something for every type of horror, thriller, and supernatural fan. Available ad-free and on the platforms you're already on. Sign up today at Shudder.com. Shudder, so good, it's scary. There's a reason podcasts are popping up everywhere. Podcasts can make you money. And Spreaker is the easiest way to start a podcast. You could literally record your first episode today. Spreaker has all the tools you need to record, edit, publish, and yeah, monetize your podcast all in one place. And it's free. So tell your story and make money while doing it. Start your podcast for free now at Spreaker.com slash make money. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com slash make money from the iHeart Podcast Network. The Real-Time Crime Podcast is for true fans of true crime. Join Leah Lamar and Teddy Mellencamp for an iHeartRadio original podcast dedicated to armchair detectives. Embark on a quest to unravel unsolved mysteries and delve into current criminal trials in real time. Why do I obsess over true crime? It's because I need to know every detail because they say that the devil's in the details. Listen to Real-Time Crime on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just waiting for Brandon, hoping he makes it back. We were on the horse trail. Um, we followed that to the end and got to a pretty steep drop off. Oh yeah, here he comes. This is like the beginning of every horror movie where the people go into the woods. So I'm very aware of that, even though we are being safe. We've been trying to get onto Malibu Canyon Ranch because over the years, a lot of people have said that there was direct access from the back of that property to Dark Canyon, where my Teresa's remains were found. So we're trying to figure out if that's true. The ranch is a 30-acre property with horses. They also do a lot of photo shoots and productions. And it's also private property. But I found a listing on Airbnb for the guest house. We booked it for two nights. My producer Brandon got there first. He met Suze Randall, the owner. She rode up to meet him on a horse. She also introduced us to her big black dog, Pickles. We both love dogs, so we ended up tagging along as we looked around the property. What did you tell me what you just saw? Okay, so Pickles the dog is very happy because he likes to play fetch, and he just brought something back to me, and I thought it was a stick, but upon closer inspection, it's a deer foot. So we're finally here, in the place that a lot of people have been trying to get access to since the night my trees went missing. We're hoping to find a way to Dark Creek. I'm Katherine Townsend. This is Helen Gone. So we're just, as you can see, we're walking to the back of the property here. 
When you approach Malibu Canyon Ranch, you can see the Spanish-style main house. You can see horses in a little paddock. And as you drive around, you see a small guest house. This side is just basically a wall of dirt and rock on the right. To the left, there are the properties. In the background, the Santa Monica Mountains, which is where the Backbone Trail is. There's a saltwater pool, and there are views in every direction of the canyon and the Santa Monica Mountains. We're going to continue down this road. And when you walk out of the guest house, you see a dirt road, which they call the fire road. It leads to an incredibly steep drop down to the canyon. That's down the canyon. That's the canyon. I'd say that's probably a 100-foot drop, 75-foot drop. Yeah. See, now, and again, if you told me, like, the remains were here, I'd be like, okay. They, that they would, dropped it off. Right, right, that makes sense. Someone dropped it or she fell or whatever. Because this right here, yeah, if you took one wrong step, especially if it was dark or night or even if you're just a little tired. When you look at a map, the remains are 0.2 miles from the fire road where we're standing. But what you don't see on those maps is this giant drop-off. It's so steep, they've put up barriers. So although the remains are close, there's no way to get there without hiking down and around this drop-off. Um, we did find this little sort of depression that seems to lead toward the canyon. Let me just back up a little. We both talked to Suze Randall, and she told us about the other trails at the back of the property. We're just trying to figure out where all of these trails lead. We started to hike. Pickles followed us around and led us down some horse trails. Well, he's walking down there. I was about to say, Pickles is gone. You okay, buddy? Come on back through. So if you're a, if you're a two-foot black lab, you can, you can get through this brush. Well, it looks, like, it looks like it drops right there, though. See, like, I can't, I can't tell how steep it is. Well, it's, um, I think down here there's another overhang, okay. so maybe we can get a sense of that. So we followed every single horse trail that led from the back of that property. We went down in some areas that weren't actual trails. It's the other way? It's the other way. Let's go down here and look, yeah. just to, like, be thorough. Well, here, I'm going to check the map from here. Okay. I'm going to walk down the bottom. Yep. Brandon and I split up to look around. Anything interesting? It's real, uh, it's real steep, and it's, again, it's this loamy soil. Yeah. So I think if you started down that path that we saw that might, we thought might be impossible, you'd start slipping and you'd fall the whole yeah, way. Yeah, you'd fall. Just one wrong step up here, and, I mean, look at this on the right. God, I, I tell you, like, for someone who did not like the woods... A girl after my own heart, I can only imagine how scary this would be. And I was saying, too, when you were up there, I was like, you know, the other thing that's strange is it's, it's, inc it's extremely hard to figure out what time of day it is right now. There are so many, the sun disappears behind the mountains, and I can't tell what time, I have no idea what time of day it is right now. It's partly cloudy, and it could be 10 o'clock in the morning, could be 7 o'clock at night. After following all these trails at the back of the property, it really seems that there's no way down. There is no shortcut between the back of that property and the area where my Teresa's remains were found in Dark Canyon. After we exhausted all the possibilities that way, we then went back toward the Backbone Trail, 
which took us right back to the same roots we had taken before. I am trying to get back yeah. to the But I'm going to go this way. Yeah. I'm probably going to regret this. Dry tree. We decided to hike back to the coordinates where my trees was found. Again, it was the hardest hike I've ever done. We say we went hiking, but it's not a hike. It's a climb. It's climbing sheer rock face and trying not to slip and fall down the sides of the canyon. The soil is very loose. It's almost like trying to climb a sand dune. It is easier that it's cooler, I'll tell you that. It's much easier because it's cooler. That was, that was what was kind of killing us. But I'm glad we did it twice. When we hiked this route the first time, it was around the same time of year when my trees went missing, mid-September. We were seeing Dark Canyon as she had been experiencing it. It was hot and dry, and there was a thick curtain of trees. And it was almost impossible to get through. Because there were so many trees covering the rock face on both sides, it was really hard to tell how steep it was at any point. But this time, hiking in December, a lot of those leaves have dropped. It was cooler and easier to take a thorough look at the sides of the canyon. It's so much easier because all of these were in full bloom. Like, they were, like, cutting. This was all, like, impassable almost. Yeah, like, you can actually see what's going on. This time, we saw that there did seem to be a few spots that were less steep where you could climb up. But those points were still far from the remains. We also saw something else, a lot more trash. Soda cans, deflated balloons, plastic, and other debris. We saw some areas where branches had been organized and pseudo-huts seemed to have been built. It was really creepy, because we know that cartel people have used this area to grow cannabis. And the grow season is from April to November. It gives me chills to think that while we were hiking through there, people could have been hiding behind those leaves. We also found an oven. So we're now at the point. Let's see if I get this wrong. This, is, this, this would be the equivalent point in the creek bed of when we walk to the end of the fire road, which is like the furthest tip, or the point where we're saying, hey, we're 0.2 miles from the remains. Um, and from this point, we've seen a lot of, uh, basically we, saw some, we see some debris down here. And it looks like that might be an oven or mini fridge. Got some more pictures of that. But there's definitely signs that there have been people down here. And it looks like if before the fence was put up, it's very plausible that this could have been somewhere that someone could have pulled up and dumped something down. However, because we've still got a ways to go, that makes this less likely because the road doesn't continue that far. We also found more hoses. Remember, Mitrice's body was found not during a police search, but because park rangers were looking for an illegal marijuana grow, they found irrigation hoses. When we did our first hike, we also saw hoses that looked old. But on this hike, we found other hoses, different types of hoses, that looked pretty new. There was also a thin layer of water flowing in the creek at this time, and that's where the hoses seemed to be connected. I'm starting to think that it's more likely than not that Mitrice did walk up on the wrong people. There's a lot of evidence of people hiding in the woods and camping. This is not an area where you would hike to and set up camp, unless you were trying to hide from someone. 
This is a tough case because there's so much that was either not done at the scene the first time or done incorrectly. It's hard to have definitive answers. So doing the hike twice was extremely important. Because unless you go in there, it's hard to put yourself in Mitrice's shoes. For example, when we started our investigation, there were a lot of people talking about the fact that the area where the remains were found is close to the ranch property. It is close, but if you have to drop off a cliff, that distance is meaningless. The bottom line is, any way we tried to go, we still ended up having to go around and hike the long way. But we wouldn't know that if we hadn't gone out there. And once you get to Dark Creek, you get a sense of how treacherous it was. And we found so much with the new hoses and oven. It just seems clear to me that even though this area seems extremely remote and dangerous, there are people out there living in those woods. And if she encountered those people, it's likely that they would have done something bad to her. We had also heard a lot of theories about someone driving out there and dumping a body. Now, there have been cases in this area where that happened, with gang members and serial killers, for example. But in all of those cases, the bodies were dumped in places where you can pull a car up, near a road, for example. In Mitrice's case, that would be impossible. So from the road, you see the no trespassing sign, you see the fire road, it's a dirt road, but a car could drive down that part of it. So, so there is this, so I can understand why people might have asked the question, you know, could someone have driven um, some way, maybe with an ATV even or something, and gotten close to where the body was dumped and then dumped it there? But that's impossible. It's, there's no road up here. There's no way. Unless the car could fly, there's no way to get to that spot. So either she walked back there herself or someone carried her there. Love a good fright? Start streaming and screaming with Shudder. From the legendary monsters that fuel your nightmares to under-the-radar haunts and critically acclaimed exclusives, discover what Polygon calls a horror movie paradise and what RogerEbert.com says is one of the best streaming services in the world. Stacked with chilling content, all curated by the industry's top horror experts, Shudder's library of frightening films and eerie series cover the entire horror spectrum meaning there's something for every type of fan. Come experience highly anticipated new releases like Superhost, Seance starring Suki Waterhouse, and the Boulay Brothers' Dracula. Plus, don't miss out on Creepshow, Slasher, Flesh and Blood, and other must-see Shutter exclusives you won't find anywhere else. Available ad-free and on the platforms you're already on. Sign up today at Shudder.com. Shudder, so good it's scary. This episode is sponsored by Maiden Home. High-quality, handcrafted furniture for the modern home. Maiden Home brings you thoughtfully designed custom furniture, handcrafted in North Carolina. This region is home to some of the world's most talented artisans who are experts in woodworking, upholstery, and finishing. By partnering directly with these family-owned workrooms, Maiden Home gives you access to the world's finest craftsmanship without the retail markup. From sofas and sectionals to tables and beds, you'll find beautiful heirloom-quality pieces that will last for years. And with over 60 fabrics and leathers and a variety of wood finishes to choose from, you can create a piece custom to your design style. Enjoy complimentary white glove delivery on all orders, a lifetime warranty, and easy returns within 30 days. To browse the latest collection and order free swatches, 
visit MadeInHome.com. That's M-A-I-D-E-N-H-O-M-E.com to start building your custom piece today. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Is that Shakespeare? Nope, it's Geico. Uh, Yeah, 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 that's Shakespeare from one of his unpublished works. Oh, it be not for awakening. Nay, give it thou the berries. For 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. No, it's from Geico, because they help save people money. Well, I hate to break it to you, but Geico got it from Shakespeare. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Like everywhere else in the world, 2020 has been an apocalyptic year in Los Angeles. There's been a global pandemic, massive protests, super spreader events, and a fire season that turned the L.A. sky red for days at a time. Then, in September, a black man named Dijon Kizzy was riding his bicycle on the wrong side of the street in South L.A. When police tried to stop Kizzy, he fled. And when they caught up to him, there was a scuffle. Police say that Kizzy struck a deputy in the face and then dropped and picked up a handgun which ended with police firing at him multiple times. After his death, protesters took to the streets. And a few days later, two young police deputies, one male and one female, were sitting in their squad car outside a metro station in Compton when a single shooter walked right up to their car window and shot them both multiple times at point-blank range. Both deputies survived the execution attempt, but the shooting and the protests that followed sent shockwaves through a community where tension was already at breaking point. The deputies were taken to a local hospital, and a small number of protesters were gathered outside. A few of them started to chant, let them die. Then a KPCC reporter named Josie Wong was covering the protest when she was thrown to the ground by deputies. Sheriff Alex Villanueva first said that Wong had interfered with the arrest and that she did not have press credentials. But video captured on cell phones showed that she was wearing a lanyard, identifying herself as a member of the media. She said that she complied with the deputy's orders, but was arrested and detained for five hours for obstructing a peace officer. Sheriff Alex Villanueva was sworn in in December 2018 on a promise to reform, rebuild, and restore the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. And he has made some reforms, but he's also seen his share of controversy. In 2019, the Los Angeles County Democratic Party, who had enthusiastically endorsed him, issued a statement criticizing Sheriff Villanueva for what it called numerous complaints of abuse of his office. It said that these alleged abuses had eroded the trust of the public. Among other things, they criticized his decision to reinstate deputies who had previously been fired for misconduct, including allegations of domestic violence. And some critics have also questioned the current administration's transparency. In October, a civil complaint was filed by deputies who claimed that they were assaulted at the East L.A. station by a group of older officers who were allegedly members of a gang. They called themselves banditos and had tattoos of a skeleton, wearing a sombrero, and carrying guns. 
The complaint alleges that the banditos controlled the East L.A. station, like inmates running a prison yard. Mitrice's disappearance happened in 2009, years before the Black Lives Matter movement. But during the protests in L.A., her name was being added to hashtag say her name, along with Breonna Taylor, who was killed by police at her home during a raid. We had to scream and fight every inch of the way for, like, the resources from the sheriff's department for um, the local mainstream television, drive-by media to cover it. Like, we had to fight for everything. This is Jasmine Kanick. She's a journalist who's been involved with Mitrice's case since the beginning. You know, nobody should be disappearing like that. No one should disappear like that. Like, that was crazy. And that could have been anyone. Yeah. Right? That could have been, And that was one of the things that resonated with me a lot. It was just like, that could have been me. That could yeah. have been anyone. She says that some cases strike you hard. And she decided to get even more involved with the case after she met with Mitrice's dad, Michael, 10 years ago. She's remained close to Michael ever since. We all met at Starbucks and had, like, a really long conversation. That's when I started writing about it. And um, as is the case with some of the stories that I choose to take on, I get a little more involved than I do in others. Um, And the Matrice one was one of them because it was being ignored. This girl just you know, disappeared. And it was not getting the attention that, you know, a blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl who would go missing in Malibu would have gotten. Matrice, you know, did not get the benefit of Black Lives Matter. And it's unfortunate because I feel like her case should have been one of the poster children for Black Lives Matter. I mean, you have this, you know, young Black woman who was clearly having a mental health crisis. So it's tragic on all these different levels to me because had it just been a few years later, I think more people would have been screaming about it. I think had it been a few years later, Maybe she wouldn't have been taken into custody in the first place because the little itty-bitty ounce of weed is not anything that can be criminally charged. Some people believe that one or more of the officers on duty that night could have played a more direct role in Mitrice's death. The deputies who were identified by multiple sources as being the ones who appeared on video have never spoken out. But however you look at it, Jasmine says that the Lost Hill Sheriff's Department clearly failed in their duty of care to Mitrice on the night she went missing. Well, it's clear the sheriffs had something to do with her death. I mean, just for the simple fact that they released her, you know, after saying they wouldn't in the middle of the night without anything, right? So they had something to do with her death because after that, you know, as we all know now, she ended up dead. But many of us do believe that, you know, the sheriffs had, 
one or two of the deputies over there had more to do with it than you know we've ever really been able to prove but for me all fingers point back to the sheriff's department because at the end of the day they told her mother or grandmother that they weren't going to release her and then they they did and that's a common problem in la county which is you know they like to let women go at these odd you know hours of the night when it's dangerous it's beyond me why they did that like after they told her family matrice's family they were not going to do that and then they they did it anyway matrice's case was given to the office of independent review a civilian oversight group that was supposed to ensure that allegations of LASD officer misconduct were investigated fairly. The Office of Independent Review produced the report, hundreds of pages with almost zero proper names. The Office of Independent Review was disbanded in 2014. Most police departments around the country have no type of civilian oversight. Jasmine says that Mitrice was the inspiration behind her work with the Reform L.A. Jail's ballot measure. The measure passed in March 2020. Jasmine has been advocating for years for the creation of the L.A. County Sheriff's Department Civilian Oversight Commission. She wants to make sure that it's a truly independent organization and that it has the tools necessary to do its job. The ballot measure gave the commission subpoena power to effectively and independently investigate misconduct. And it requires the attendance of witnesses and production of evidence connected to their investigations and oversight. When Mitrice disappeared in 2009, there was no oversight commission. On that note, if people hear about this and they're outraged and they want to do something, because we always like to sort of have a call to action on what people can actually do, um, what's the best way to put your energy forward and try to help with this? I mean, at this point in time, you know, people need to pay attention to more than what's going on in Washington, D.C. What happens in your backyard affects you way more than anything going on in Washington, D.C. But voters don't tend to pay attention to what's going on at City Hall, what's going on with their county board of supervisors. Most voters don't even know who represents them at the local level. Everyone in this country, no matter where they are, they live in some county, they live in some city, they live in some state, and at each of those levels, there is a body of government that governs them, and they should be engaged. Believe it or not, most law enforcement agencies do not have civilian oversight. There's a really big push now, especially in the wake of, you know, Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and all of these other names I could go on and on and on. And, and I always call out Matrice's name, too. I never let people forget about Matrice. Yeah. Um, you know, because now people are paying attention. And so th- that's what I tell people. Like, they have to get engaged at the local level. They have to push for these changes. They have to unseat people who aren't willing to do the changes. <laughs> And put people in the office who are willing to make the changes. Because in this country, we only get change, real systemic change, real institutional change, two ways. 
court rulings or legislation. It just is what it is. That's how we get changes. You can protest in the street all you want, but if the people who are in power aren't moved by your protest to change the laws, you're just protesting in the street. Sheriff Lee Baca is currently in federal prison. He has reportedly been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Jasmine is convinced that Sheriff Baca knows more about Mitrice's case. I mean, he may end up dying with that secret unless one of the other deputies involved wants to come forward. Ismael Rodriguez and Lazaro Sanchez, the deputies who were identified as possibly being on camera walking out of the station shortly after Mitrice, have both been transferred from Lost Hill Station. Both still work for the LASD. Neither have ever spoken publicly about the night Mitrice went missing. Good afternoon. Would you like to try a free sample of our double fudge brownie? Oh, sure. Mmm, that's very good. I'll just take one more, just to be sure. Yep, still very good. Some things never change. Like never being able to take just one free sample. And Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Mmm, is that macadamia nut I taste? Let me take one more. Sir, mm. yeah, I thought so. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. To show you how easy it is to file a claim with Geico, we hired a soap opera star. Gracious me, my car has storm damage and I've had to file a claim. Could it possibly get worse? Will my claims team leave me for someone else? Someone less intense? Um, no. Actually, when you file a claim with Geico, you get your own dedicated claims team who promises to stay with you throughout the process. Oh, I've never known such loyalty. I can't wait for the second season. Geico, great service without all the drama. Geico knows there are many reasons why you ride. From the exciting adventure of the daily commute to the peace of mind that Geico always has your back with 24-7 access to claim service and legendary customer service. But Pamela Mund had one reason in particular. My skin is extremely averse to most fabrics, except for the soft, buttery feeling of leather. Thankfully, I found my clan of leather lovers in the biking community. It's been life-changing. Geico Motorcycle. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Officially, Mitrice's case is still classified as an open investigation. But because her death has not officially been ruled a homicide, the case, like so many others in Los Angeles and around the country, seems to be in limbo. Police have described it as a clue-driven investigation, which basically means if someone comes to them with a lead, they will investigate it, but they aren't out knocking on doors. I still believe that someone knows something and that there could be more clues still buried somewhere in Dark Canyon. Again, part of being a thorough investigator is doing a Sherlock Holmes-style process of investigation. Let's take a look at the main theories of what could have happened to Mitrice. One, someone killed her, put her in their car, and dumped her body. Now, this was a theory that depended on the fire road or some access road behind the Malibu Canyon Ranch or in that general area, leading down to a point where a body could have been dropped in the spot where her remains were found. But now we know that that road doesn't exist. 
The fire road just leads to some horse trails. All of them end at a very steep drop that puts you almost a mile from where the remains were found. And as part of checking out this theory, we've also looked at other past crimes that involve dumping a body in that area. Some were serial killers, others were gang members. But they all chose dump sites that were near a road or a turnoff. They had a way to drive there. This wasn't the case with Mitrice. Another theory is that Mitrice, suffering from some kind of mental breakdown, could have walked to the area herself and then somehow succumbed to the elements. Now, we can't rule this out completely because hypothermia does cause people to take their clothes off, but it's very unlikely. This was Malibu in late summer. Highs in the day hit the 90s, and the nightly lows only went down to the 60s. If she was outside for more than a day, she would have been dehydrated and exhausted, but it's still very unlikely that this could have led to her death that quickly. Because of the fact that it would be difficult, if not impossible, to carry a body through Dark Creek the way that we hiked, some people have suggested that someone could have killed Mitrice and moved her body to Dark Creek later. But the forensics don't really support this. A lot of people mention mummification and the fact that the body couldn't have only been partially mummified if it had been out there for a year, but forensic experts tell us that this is not the case. She wasn't out in the direct sunlight. She was in a canyon. And the part of the body where there was flesh visible had been buried in the soil. I agree with Sheriff Villanueva. I think that the evidence supports the theory that Mitrice died shortly after she went missing and that her body was not moved. Police suggested suicide in the beginning. I would say that's absolutely not a possibility in my mind. There's no real ledge where she could have leaped to her death and had her remains end up at that point. Also, there are no broken bones that would have suggested that kind of a fall. There's no way that she could have committed suicide out there. Another possibility, Mitrice, dehydrated, confused, and scared, started wandering around, cutting through backyards, and somehow ended up near that area. And then, at that point, saw something that she shouldn't have seen. This seems like a likelier possibility. We know that cartels were operating marijuana grows in this area. That's why the police were there in the first place. And we've found evidence on every one of our hikes that they still could be out there. So how do we move forward from here? We know from Rebecca's case and others that getting answers and justice can take a long time. The end of the podcast season does not mean the end of the investigation. Once again, it's a waiting game. A lot of us grew up watching shows like CSI. We were taught that the criminal justice system worked, that there's a three-act structure. The case is presented, investigated, and in the end, for the most part, the bad guys get caught. In the final act, the bad guy goes to jail, and all the loose ends are neatly tied up. Now we know better. We know that making progress in cases can take years, and that there are often frustrating setbacks along the way. And sometimes, it's not clear who the good guys and the bad guys are. As Jasmine pointed out, 10 years ago, the idea that police officers would have their actions dissected on the nightly news was unthinkable. Would Mitrice have gone missing in today's climate with the knowledge that we have now? 
Sadly, we'll never know the answer to that. But we can help make it part of Mitrice's legacy to make sure that what happened to her never happens to anyone again. We know that law enforcement are watching us, and we have to make sure that we're watching them. It can take a long time for people to come forward and for new clues and new evidence to come to light. It's our role as podcasters to get Mitrice's story out there, to put pressure on law enforcement and people who have answers. And then, wait. This may be the end of the podcast season, but it's not the end of the investigation. We're going to keep searching for answers, whether they come in the form of new evidence, new people coming forward, or other secrets that may be still buried somewhere in Dark Canyon. I'm Katherine Townsend, and this is Hell and Gone. Hell and Gone is a production of School of Humans and iHeartRadio. It's written and narrated by me, Katherine Townsend. Our producers are Gabby Watts, Taylor Church, and James Morrison. Music is by Ben Salee. Mix is by Tune Welders. Our executive producers are Brandon Barr, Elsie Crowley, and Brian Lavin. Special thanks to Chip Croft for use of footage from his documentary, Lost Compassion. School of Humans. Support for this podcast is from Williams. We make clean energy happen. Williams is the first North American midstream company to establish a climate commitment and an immediate approach to a sustainable future. We've released our 2020 sustainability report to track progress on our ESG goals, which includes a near-term emissions reduction target of 56% by 2030. We're leveraging our natural gas-focused strategy to fight climate change today and build a clean energy economy tomorrow. Our infrastructure and commitment are transforming the future of energy. Learn more at williams.com. Not completing high school is more of a social thing than it was an academic thing. Even though all these years have passed, I still had that longing to have my diploma. At age 30, Carissa finished her high school diploma. If you're even considering getting your high school diploma, you can do it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. The Real-Time Crime Podcast is for true fans of true crime. Join Leah Lamar and Teddy Mellencamp for an iHeartRadio original podcast dedicated to armchair detectives. Embark on a quest to unravel unsolved mysteries and delve into current criminal trials in real time. Why do I obsess over true crime? It's because I need to know every detail because they say that the devil's in the details. Listen to Real-Time Crime on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.